Hey everyone. Uh, sorry you haven't heard from us in a while. There's been um, a lot of big life stuff for both Zach and me. Uh, nothing bad, but all of it time-consuming and time-sensitive. Uh, stuff is still happening on the show. We actually recorded part of a mini-sode right before I recorded this, um, and we are trying to figure out ways that we can make our regular chapters uh, safely and remotely um, and still have them sound good. Um, nothing concrete to announce just now, uh, but I promise, of course, we will announce something when we have something to announce. Um, but I'm here today to tell you that Paul Notice, who plays Nelson, among other characters, is currently running a crowdfunding campaign for a feature-length horror film. I had a great conversation with Paul about the film, and I'm very excited for it. Um, I know whatever comes out of Paul's brain is going to be great. But before I play the interview for you, I want to tell you about The Listener. This may shock you, but a lot of podcasts exist. And that's a great thing, but sometimes it can be overwhelming trying to find a new one you'll enjoy. Well, The Listener Has Your Back is a daily podcast recommendation newsletter written by podcast industry expert Carolyn Crampton. It's going to send three superb podcast episodes from outside the usual bubble straight to your inbox every weekday. And if you sign up as a paying subscriber, you'll even get a personal feed that can send those episodes straight to your favorite podcast app. Once and Future Nerd listeners can get two months free at thelistener.co using code TOAFN20. That's thelistener.co, code TOAFN20, for two free months of daily podcast recommendations. Okay, enjoy this interview, and hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, today, I am joined uh, by Paul Notice, who you probably know from our show for his uh, longstanding performance as uh, Nelson, um, as well as uh, Anton and Mooncrest and several other ensemble parts. Um, but I am talking to Paul today uh, because of a project of his own. It is a feature-length horror film, uh, which he is currently crowdfunding. Um, it's called Willow. Um, Paul, uh, glad we were able to, to get you on. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, hey, it's good to see you. Thank you yeah. for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. I, I honestly have been, um, I've just been doing a lot on the, on the crowdfunding and everything for the video. So we're, I've just been doing that in, in interviews. And uh, we just got through, oh, this is actually a great update. Is that we just got through finishing the, uh, or screening the, the, the featurette and it just came out really well. I honestly, it was just a good turnout. The panel discussion, doing a bunch of panel series on, on, on people of color in film and in media, but also Afrofuturism, womanism. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. So before we get too much into the, the nitty gritty, um, can you tell people who, who may not be familiar, like what, um, give them the, the kind of the short pitch of, of Willow. What, what is Willow? Willow. It's an Afrofuturist horror flick that takes place in an alternate reality where people feed on each other to survive. That's like the elevator pitch. Uh, the longer story is, it's in an alternate reality where, uh, if you think about it, like this is a reality where people feed on each other to survive. Well, if you're looking at our world, or our reality, black and indigenous people have been fed on, quote unquote, so to speak, uh, for, like, you know, in a large proportion than everyone else. That, that's, that has been, the history of a recent, a recent history in the West. So Willow takes that and kind of goes, does this thing where there's a, a revolution that comes about that places black and indigenous people in power. And so the roles are now reversed. So there's a history of, of oppression and uh, being fed on, right? Eat the poor, that whole type of thing or whatever, and eat, 
eat the, uh, you know, the other, right? Um, there's that history and kind of like this idea, this idealism that's encapsulated in one of the protagonists, Sasha Obama, where it's like she she has a legacy of liberation, not just in her family, because, you know, she's a descendant of the Obamas, a granddaughter of Sasha Obama. OK, that was going to be my my. It's that Sasha Obama. That yeah, that's Sasha okay. Obama. Yeah, definitely. Okay. She's the granddaughter of Sasha Obama. So she is coming from this history of like, oh, you know, I'm basically American royalty. Uh, in terms of like political prowess, they're not just like, oh, we're a celebrity. It's like, no, no, we're we're known for good governance. We're known for being great leaders. And so uh, there's a responsibility to do that. And yet there is now this uh, crisis, which is that they're running out of white people to eat. And, you know, right. <laughs> so now now she has to figure out like either she uh, she has to she lifts the prohibition on pure consumption, which is just eating other people. So that's one thing where it's like, now we're going back to the old days, we even though I'm supposed to be like one of the best leaders out there or whatever. And then like, you know, she's kind of set with like, do I let this go or how do I figure out how to, how to survive when once we have this whole, this whole idea of like consumption is now turning on its head, right? So my, my whole point of that was to make a metaphor on uh, how, how violent capitalism can be and no matter what color the hand is that's taking money out your pocket, <laughs> You know, what I mean, there, there's still there's still violence there. There's still some type of exploitation. And it's just it doesn't matter. Like, we can't just cure ourselves of white supremacy and think that we're liberated. Basically, mm -hmm. you know, there's a there's a larger story. So I should probably like try to retell it in a shorter way. But I mean, you've, you've got you got your short snappy one. Then that's a that's a that's a summary that makes me interested for sure. Uh, before we, we got into it, you mentioned a, um, a featurette and a stage play Were those both earlier iterations i guess i'm always curious you know how uh, a story idea gets to be where it is at the time that it's it's ready to be released so i guess i wonder if you can talk on like when this particular story kind of first sang to you and if and when you felt like there's a there there and also if you can talk about those other those other iterations that have that have come first yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's very vivid in my head. There was um, to make a long story short, uh, I think it was grad. It was grad school. I wrote. I like literally had the inspiration to do this in grad school, and then I, and I just followed it until it became a play and went up on speed in two thousand thirteen. But uh, in grad school, there was a professor who we would present our uh, we present our our like our pieces or scenes of plays, and I had a play called um, oh god. It was something really silly. It was a, it was a terrible name. You know, it was it was my first attempt. And sure. what happened is that uh, I feel like there, there's there's something there's a lot of things to be said here. So one, uh, he was speaking to a character that well, was a gay like tanks man, and his but he also was it was gay, and he was also speaking to me as like a bisexual person. So he's like, all right, bet I understand you're bi. I'm also gay. Why is this guy gay? And there's this type of thing of like ooh, where I'm like I get where you're coming from, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, there's a bigger, there's a bigger cringe of like, oh, you're doing respectability politics because we don't ask this question when there's a straight white dude on. Like we just, we just don't, right? Mm -hmm. And then he like, you know, he obviously didn't stop there because there's a black woman there. And he's like, well, you guys thinking about it for everything. And what really stuck in my head was when he was like, oh, why is she black? And, and, and just like, you know what I mean? Even though that was the first question was like, why is it like, like, why is he gay? I was like, all right, fine, I'll give you that. It was that where it was like, okay, first of all, you know, like that's, you know what I mean? For some reason I was like, all right, maybe I'll give you that credence or whatever. But then when he went there, I was like, you don't even know. Like, 
why is why is he why does he have to be white? That that's and in in reaction to that, I had the concept of like I'm gonna make a play that's all black women, and that's gonna it's gonna I'm just gonna have to force you to like to accept this. I, I'm gonna make a play that's all black women, and uh, maybe there'll be one male role, and I designed that role literally to be like the. Uh, to be like the caretaker, to basically make a, a male role that was like, I'm not your savior, duh, but also I'm not here to just be your romantic lead or anything like that. I'm not, uh, you know, part of the real plot. I have no real, I'm not a protagonist. Like, because a lot of times these women, like uh, characters that people are writing, they're not protagonists. They don't move the plot forward. They're just there as props, which is upsetting. So I, I had all these different things that I wanted to do. Uh, and I just began writing. I, I think I, I can't remember when I first wrote the first uh, the first draft. That's what gets me. Is I can't remember when I first wrote the first draft. I know these things like these plays, especially back then. It would take me like two years or whatever to get to a really good like draft. So um, yeah, I remember that inciting incident. But I, I can't remember when I finished the first draft. But several like a couple of years later or whatever, I basically like arrived at something that we put in front of a uh, New York Theater Workshop. And that's when I, I was uh, rolling with Glenn Quinton for the first time. He was like producing stuff. He was like trying to put things together for a stage play. Um, and Reg Douglas, who's the associate uh, associate artistic director in the studio theater now, but he's like, you know, that back then he was like one of my classmates from Georgetown. You know, we were from the Black Theater Ensemble. So he was helping me out like, all right, bad, I'm gonna do this. And uh, the, the cast that just came together was just, it was crazy. I mean, honestly, everything, Everything clicked. I would honestly uh, like like cast these people again just for the, the the movie. Like it always crossed my mind to just like do it that way. I mean, it might end up like casting some of the old like people because it was done so well. There's so many great moments of like this is a horror film. There's moments of terror. There are moments of like not gore, but like like there's moments of terror and not gore. And then because it was a stage play, I purposely crafted some things where it's like. I am terrified because I'm seeing things with dramatic irony and it's fucking with my head. And then are you going to get caught or are you not? Can you just get caught now? So I get like that type of moment. But then there are also moments of like comedy of like one of the uh, there's a there's a moment where like the uh, I don't want to give it away. But basically one of the tip bosses is uh, is basically like being like I got stuck on an intern. And uh, the intern is like, I don't, well, excuse me, like, this is maybe not appropriate. And she's just like, shut up, shut up, where's my saison? And like, you know what I mean? Like, in, right? like <laughs> and we just all busted out laughing, but it was great. It was just such a great, like, silly moment. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that, that yeah, that, that's when we, I kind of saw life in it. And then that's when um, Reg kind of told me that it should probably be like, there's a lot of moments where we should probably see this on, on screen mm -hmm. that we can have a lot more fun with, that we can look at different angles and kind of, uh, manipulate the audience's view until we can know where to look. Um, yeah, after that, I, I kind of like, I definitely wanted to do a few more plays. So I went to the Tank Theater and we mm -hmm. had something like, they, they said yes, but then it kind of fell off, fell through or whatever um, for like a full production thing. Like, yeah, it just nothing came through that. And then I kind of like, I had to just go to work. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then, you know what I mean? Like career stuff got in the way. And then I had a few, times where I would, uh, like in 2013, um, I, I would like do like these living room, like rehearsals basically. Like we would just do readings and rehearsals and like uh, at the, the woman that I was dating at the time, um, at her, what you call it? At her, uh, at her, in her living room, cause my living room was too small. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we would just like, you know, it was great, it was really cool. So 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it just kept, it kept coming up. Every time I kept coming back to it, either as a writing piece or something like, well, let's just use this as like, uh, you know, an exercise or whatever. Like, this is like a really dope play. I should send this to you, blah, blah. And it just kept uh, staying in my head. Uh, and, and finally, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, should I give you the whole story? I'm, I'm going really long. I mean, I'm interested in how it, because it's obviously been a, like a long journey to get this piece from the original God, idea yes. to, to what you're working on now. So I, I'm curious, like, why it came together in this particular way at this particular time. Okay, okay, okay. So that is 2019. Okay. Uh, actually, no, 2018, because that's when I met uh, Shushwana Chaudhary. And uh, like, I, I actually, uh, I met her through a friend of, of a friend. No, no, I met her through a friend, Sia Sakar. Uh, and we were at the Amir Khan uh, concert and she was a filmmaker and I was like, what are you working on? And she was working on an all uh, Bengali film. It was all Bengali, like ran film, all Bengali cast, all Bengali crew. And, I, and in my head, I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Like I have like a script that was kind of like, that it was like, it was all black women. It was all black cast. And I was trying to be like, black people could be in horror and you can, you know, market this. And this is like, you know, obviously like during the time of Get Out sure. and everything, right? So that's when it's just now, because before with Willow, we were like, what the fuck? Like black people in horror, they don't like horror films, which is a <laughs> lie, right? But that's why I kept getting it back a lot of times in the early days. They're like, what? I don't, and then they're eating each other. I, hmm. Like there was a lot of love that, that was there, but you know, you got a lot of either people who didn't like that the cast is black or, and they thought it wasn't like applicable to everyone. I got a lot more of that actually. People actually liked the concept. I'm not gonna lie. People like did like the concept of the, the eating each other, but they're, it's more about the fucking cast. If you think about it, yeah. Yeah, screw it, whatever. But it got better. Like people's attitudes changed or I just found the right crowd, whatever it was. But you know, it, there's less about, it got, I got less pushback on the, on the casting, like, the later it got, especially after uh, like Get Out and everything, mm -hmm. like that, that really did help like pick things up because I could reference and say like, yes, this is successful financially. You can invest in us, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, I met Shushwana Chowdhury and I told her about Willow and she was immediately just like, this is fucking brilliant. Like, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? She, was, she already knew like representation and how that works. And, and she also made the effort to be like, listen, you gotta put black women behind the camera too. It can't just be, in front of the camera, like like look at what I did with Dewat. Like that was really a, a big thing I connected on was like, oh yeah, you're right. We gotta have empowering things. So she uh as a producer like already knew how to fundraise, but also how to just have this very I, I'm I I think for me when it comes to filmmaking, I'm great at editing, I'm great at shooting, I'm great at doing the type of like skilled labor that's kind of uh mm, there's like structure, but I need mm -hmm. structure in order in order to function and be successful. So mm -hmm. For Shushwana, like, you know, she'll look at, I'll take notes and stuff, but the notes will be all over the place, right? Or I'll, I'll go and accomplish, like, I can write out this entire three-page thing, but she wouldn't know where to, to go or when to do it or just how to kind of, like, uh, I don't know, what, like, what to proceed next or whatever. Like, hey, you need a splash paper with this, and, like, then you want to do this, and, like, you know, don't, don't just make a bunch of videos. You got to go one-on-one -on -one and make these phone calls or whatever. That's what you're going to really do, and, like, I think it was great to have like that, like someone like that at my corner early on, because then that gave me that confidence really to like, to, to really kind of go for this, right? It was her and, and Katrina Reed that, uh, and then you know, my partner, like they literally like, like were like, look, you can, you, we can do this. And also like they had the, the know-how or kind of like how to, the, the organization, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, the, sure. the, do you know what I mean? To like really kind of keep me focused on it. I think that was a really big marker too. 
a game mm-hmm. changer if it, if it were. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as soon as that happened, uh, we had a plan and then COVID hit because we were gonna shoot like yeah. March, April. <laughs> that, that happened, I mean, it literally happened right after I shot this thing as a test run for it because uh, release, which I, I shot this experimental film release where it was a bunch of shadows and people were standing in darkness, like liquidy darkness, it was just great. And we shot it in the theater mm-hmm. and it's what, it's what I kind of imagine Willow would look like. And if you look at the, the trailer, you can see it. You can see that, you know, the Oval Office is just shrouded in darkness, right? It's just shadows everywhere. I, I loved that, that whole concept of that. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was a great successful shoot and all of a sudden, you know, uh, COVID hit. So uh, there's a month where I was like, all right, we'll just wait until blah, blah, blah. But then, um, oh no, I, I, more than a month. I think basically from March on to July, mm-hmm. I basically pivoted and was just like, I'm just gonna make a fucking DIY feature film at home. And so like it was me, Pierre, Katrina, uh, and um, who else? Glenn, uh, that were, they were just like making this, this movie by ourselves while in quarantine. And then all of a sudden I got, uh, I got like a pretty good loan approved that had like good rates because it was an SBA disaster loan uh, for my, my nonprofit. And I was like, oh my God, like it, everything kind of clicked. I, I, was, I was like, dude, I got my 501c3, like this year actually during COVID, which is funny, um, right? It just like finally came back all that stuff, right? So I, I got that and then, um, and do I, like that basically like inspired me to be like, yo, I got to put like people of color behind the camera like what, what am I doing so I, I was like dude this is like already I can use this for the nose blog like this is like or the nose foundation do you know what I mean like we can make a program that is not just about employing but it's like about educating we can make it so that uh there's like like every I want to make it like so that these easter eggs are also like educational forays do you know what I mean like you'll learn about like right like so in the hospital bill that you're looking at like it's actually the date of the Oh God, what was it called? The, the German Coast Rebellion. So like you, if you look on the, uh, the hospital bill and one of the like prize that you get and in, uh, in the crowdfunding video, but also it's the hospital bill, the real hospital bill in the, uh, the film, right? Um, we already just like came with the props. Like, I did so much world building in this thing just because you have, you have seven years to just think about these random things. But uh, it was, I made sure that I was like, I want to put the, the dates of the German Coast Rebellion and the call number things or whatever. And so I have that in there. So you can learn about like, just literally just looking at the Easter egg videos or like little, I'm making an audio journal that explains this stuff. It's just all history. It's all history and like sociology and little things. And you know what I mean? Like there's things to help you or whatever. I also did like, uh, I think that that's the more I kind of talked about it with, uh, with, with uh, Shishwana, but also with uh, Katrina and Pierre, the more I realized that are like, you know, a lot of the times when people are starting out in their careers, like people of color when they start out in their careers, you just need someone who's going to be able to either help you finance things. So I'm doing a fiscal sponsorship program and it's for filmmakers and creative artists of color, right? So just like trying to think, but there's, it's all within the guise of like, look, I want to make this film and people's interest in the film is going to basically pull them into not only seeing representation, but also the panel discussions the Easter eggs to talk about history, you know, the, uh, even the, the concepts themselves that are like, look at how at, like capitalism works or exploitation, like all these different things. Like these are things that I feel like lend themselves to charitable, the charitable causes of like ending racism. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the, the, the tipping point was definitely when I got the, the first initial inset of cash really like during this COVID pandemic thing, that's really what kind of, 
allowed us to do that, you know? You talked about, um, you know, the importance of having representation in front of and behind the camera. And you talked about the, the resistance you initially encountered to having an all black cast. Um, I wonder, and this might be a very big question and I don't think we can get to all of it, but I, I do wonder if you, if you feel any pressure to, um, tell like some particular kind of story like i guess the question behind the question is like with regards to horror do you feel any um do you feel any pressure to like on the one hand like you know black people encounter horror and that feels true to my experience so i have to show that or on the other hand to be like you know black people could really use you know something that's not horror to like do you feel or do you feel like you know, I just want everybody to tell their story honestly, and it'll all, you know, come, it'll sum out, or I, like, how do you feel about that, or, or try to navigate Yeah, it? people told me that. There's a few times where I pitched the, the idea to relatives, and pitched the, the movie, or I was like, in the early days of the fundraising stuff, where, you know, like, uh, I would say one or two, where it was like, uh, hey, like, black people already have horror in their lives, and, uh, you know, why show this where it's just like a whole bunch of violence and it's going to be gory and it's going to be this and that. And, and like for me, I, I think I was lucky in, in terms of this started out as a play. So I already was shunning away from gore and violence because you can't put that on stage. And I just don't have any desire to really do that. I think for me, it was like I need to put black people in these quote unquote white spaces or else we are just going to think that we can only be on plantations and, and ghettos. And that's fucking wild. You know, I, I think like that, that really was like what drives it. So there, I already knew it was going to be pushback because, you know, really, if it wasn't the cast, it was the concept. And, and you know, that's that at the short end of it. It wasn't like I was just only talking to like, you know, white theaters or, or white production companies, you know. So some people were just like, this is either too expensive to put on. It's too heady that I can't get my head around it. Or in reality, it was just like, I don't want to see all this violence. And that it was before even seeing like what the the actual like you know play was about. Like people who saw the play, that's a different story. I, I think uh, I don't really think I saw anybody that really like saw it or read it that was like, ooh. It was more like, oh shit! Like this is very this is we haven't seen anything like this. You know what I mean? I think that was always like the the worst I ever got was uh, actually the worst I ever got was why can't <laughs> why can't she be white? <laughs> why can't the main character be white? That was like you know what I mean, but. Yeah, concept-wise, yeah, you do get pressure to, to make certain films or to be like, oh, why don't we, like, I remember uh, a relative was telling me, um, was like, oh, why don't you just make a, a historical comedy? And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. One, <laughs> the whole idea, right? I, I, I literally explained to them, like, I was like, yo, look, like, this is an Afrofuturist horror film. So, like, at the end of the day, like this is it has to be in the future because we want to see that we make it in the future that's, that's that's the whole point is that there's supposed to be a certain type of optimism that's latent in this genre right so even though it's a horror film like okay cool we gotta make it through but just know that we already made it like we're here we're here right um but then too like i don't need people to, to simply think that we only are here for for laughs like i i think that that to me is well, one, like my, like my writing is already comedic and stuff, so there's going to be like laughing moments, but I don't, wanna, I don't want to have people coming in thinking that the, 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 the themes or anything else can be taken lightly or that 
you know, this is something that we can laugh at, at these, at by people's pain. I don't know. I, I think like, yeah, like I definitely have gotten a lot of different pressure or whatever on how to change it or tweak it in different small ways. And not always like, it's not always terrible. They're not always offensive. Sometimes, some are innocuous, but it's just, it's not the story that I know that I need to tell. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think really just a good, a good sense of stubbornness and uh, uh, a large dose of, of pride to be like, no, no, I, I, only I know the most, the most, uh, <laughs> the true path of the story, which is true. I mean, every writer has that. You got to have some type of pride in your work that you think you stand alone without having to always change it. Um, right. I, I sometimes feel like, you know, the art of writing is the art of, um, fooling yourself into believing you have something necessary to say until you have said something necessary you know what i mean yeah yeah oh man that's that's yeah that, that's that's uh that's mine mine uh gymnastics there that's perfect that's that's what you gotta <laughs> do <laughs> um but you actually you touched on you touched on what was going to be my next question um because you've kept coming back to the terms um afrofuturism and womanism and i wonder if you could just explain what those mean um to you as a as a writer yes 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 okay so as a writer afrofuturism first thing uh it's imagining a future uh near or far are distant where black people exist. Uh, and that's that's really what kind of ties it all together. There's a whole bunch of deeper things. Like I, I love Octavia Butler. Oh, Octavia Butler is so good. And like she doesn't always do like Afrofuturism, but what she does, it's beautiful. I, it just makes me think of things I'm like, I never thought that you can imagine this type of intricate world building. But it's very much like she did her research to the point where it's like, there are different things that, that will allude back to like Yoruba culture or like different things that are like or like allude back to like uh like Geechee like color Geechee I'm like what how the fuck but this isn't it's like you know uh I don't know I'm like I'm not gonna I'm sorry I'm gonna start going into this whole thing but yes Afrofuturism is the is genres where we're in the future and black people exist they are the the center of it um and if you think about it I think uh it's it's already like it's a, it's wild. It seems simple, but yeah, if you think a lot uh, in terms of I don't know. I, I this is one thing that you'll notice in the, in the trailer. Sasha Obama has an African accent, right? Like, why does mm. she have an accent? African accent. When a lot of people, I I would get um, a lot of the responses that I would get would be like, oh, it's because this is a new America where you know immigrants can be president, and like, look. I love that. I love that idea. I do. But I went even further on that Overton window and I made it so that if you notice, you look at Children of Men, you look at uh, the, uh, the Handmaid's Tale, uh, you look at um, Star Trek even in some places, mm -hmm. cases or whatever, right? Star Trek Enterprise, Captain Picard. Everyone in the future has a British accent. It's weird makes no sense. I would assume that it would be slightly uh, both the Chinese, Indian, and maybe Nigerian, since those are the large population. That's yeah, something like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's always a British thing. And so for me, I was like, great. How about in this reality, uh, the upper class, except for having a British accent, have an African accent? How about we just like flip it and just not even explain it? We can just have it so that's part of the world building. Um, so that's what it is. Really, it's because she's just royalty, so she has an African accent. Whereas, yeah. like, if you'll you'll see later on in the um, like when we shoot it and stuff, Willow and a lot of the like characters that are like like in the the temp office or whatever, 
they sound like you and I. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just only the elites that sound like that, which I think is beautiful. We're just trying to do a little mm-hmm. bit of Overton window pushing. Um, sure. But, uh, oh, Jesus, now I got off again. What was her question? Uh, the question was uh, Afrofuturism, which I think you basically described as like a, a very a broad umbrella term for imagining black people in the future. Um, and then also the term uh, womanism, which black I was, like, I'm, yeah. I'm familiar with, you know, the kind of cloud of ideas encompassed by feminism. So I guess I just wonder why why you're, you're using the word um, womanism, because I'm not super familiar with Okay. Um, with that yeah, concept. yeah, Audrey Lord. So I would say uh, Audrey Lord. Hmm, I wonder. I feel like someone else probably coined it before her. But I learned uh, uh, womanism through Audrey Lord's like uh, writings and everything. So she was a black feminist in like sure. the 1970s and on to the 80s and everything. Um, but yeah, it's the idea of like understanding feminism through the black perspective because it was very different. So black women in the, the U.S. had a very different. Uh, social history than white women. I mean, a great example that I was uh, that I was given to you early on was like, and my mom, like, who's a really staunch womanist, uh, she, Zora Hurston was like her like favorite. Uh, uh, again, you know, she's like loved her writing and everything else. But she pointed out that like black women were always seen as like, uh, oh god, the inward mules of the world. Actually, my partner always talks about this too. The inward mules of the world. Uh, as like burden and like my mom would always say like black women are always seen as like piece of burden because we were property like right so you know black folks property black women were also seen as property and not seen as delicate flowers so womanists would say like look i'm someone who can be treated gently i i can be a flower a feminist or a white feminist or someone who just only understands feminism through a white perspective wouldn't be able to really understand this delicate flower concept because it goes against really white women's like social history, which is being babied and treated like delicate flowers. It's not how black women were treated in America. So things like looking at how uh, black, uh, black girls are constantly, constantly ex- expelled, not expelled, sorry, suspended from school, right? At higher rates, how there's a, an, a huge attack on black hairstyles for black women in the, in the workforce. Black men do not, they get the same type of thing, definitely, but when you're talking about uh, the politics of hair, especially in like places like New Orleans and how they force uh, African-American slaves to, or black slaves to like cover their hair because they didn't want any of that around them. There's a whole type of thing of like history and sociology that has to, it has to be addressed. Uh, and that can be addressed through a feminist lens. So yes, if you want to think of it, like womanism is feminism, but it's definitely through like the, the lens of black women. I, I think it was kind of forcing feminists to acknowledge that because there was a lot of divide mm. even in the uh suffrage movement sure. where uh yeah so yeah 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 i, I figured i i wanted to do something that would uh that would speak to that and 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 give light to it because a lot of times I, I think um there's erasure that happens uh in a lot of different ways right uh, from saying the word minorities and not really pinpointing like what do you mean who like mm-hmm. right we all have different stories and everything else to you know, the erasure of, uh, of individuality within the Latinx community. You saw that a lot when they're trying to talk about like the Latinx vote. What are you talking about? Like, right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, like right. it's, it's wild. So I think it's important for us to use these types of like the specificity in language mm-hmm. in order to like give space for everyone really, you know, so. Sure. Yeah. Um, makes sense. And thank you for that um, explanation. Um, 
Paul, if uh, people want to find out more about Willow or if they're already sold and want to help you, um, where where should they go? Yeah. All right. So they should go to uh, bit.ly forward slash Willow Horror. Yeah, yeah. you can find the, uh, you'll, you, that's like a little shortcut that you'll be able to find the, the SceneSpark uh, crowdfunding page. And there's a bunch of, I mean, there, there's a ton of things. I give away these dream analysis uh, video things. Like if you donate, which is just me just rambling about like what your dream might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the entire uh, film starts out over a dream. So, you know, I, I figured I'd make mm. that part of the thing. Uh, yeah. There's fake hospital bills that you can get or different contributions. <laughs> But the biggest thing really is that you get you get all of it's tax deductible because it's through my my foundation. My foundation is fiscally sponsoring uh, the project, um, and uh, you get to see a, a sneak peek. Not sneak peek. You see the, the feature. You see the, for, the short film version of Willow, mm-hmm. which is what we shot as a proof of concept. Uh, so we're honestly just gonna be showing all. I mean, we're gonna be like going. It's gonna be going through its uh, whole film festival circuit, but also we're gonna be showing investors and stuff to be like, look how nice our little short film that you wanna. See the large thing? It's crazy. Isn't this world building? You love it, right? Like, so, <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, you can honestly support by sending as little as a dollar. I mean, totally feel free to bring thousands of dollars, but as little as a dollar and you'll see this great freaking film. That's pretty fun. Um, yeah. Great. So that's, that's bit.ly forward slash willow horror then. And is there anything else that you, is, is there anything else that people, um, should should follow you or or anything else you want to plug yeah the noseblog.com you go to the noseblog.com it's my last name paul notice you go to the it's a blog the noseblog.com it's amazing you gotta go there <laughs> bunch of little treats for everybody noseblog.com <laughs> um, on instagram twitter instagram twitter tumblr instagram twitter twitter and 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 facebook paul uh thank you so much for taking the time to um talk to us today and um you know we we wish you the best of luck um with the with the crowdfunding campaign thank you appreciate that